millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, May 18th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, advocates for medical marijuana continue to speak out after the Mississippi Supreme Court invalidated Initiative 65. We examine the health and economic fallout of the decision. Then the United States' highest court agrees to hear Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, setting the stage for the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. Plus, the bail project comes to Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Advocates for Mississippi's medical marijuana ballot initiative are expressing frustration following the Mississippi Supreme Court's opinion that effectively overturned the newly adopted constitutional amendment. The court ruled that the state's ballot initiative process is outdated. Seventy-four percent of Mississippians voted last November to legalize medical marijuana for treatment of 22 debilitating diseases. Rankin County resident Angie Calhoun was a leading voice for Initiative 65 last fall. She said legalizing medical marijuana would have allowed her son to return home. Now, as she tells our Kobe Vance, she feels the life has been sucked out of her. My family and I, we were just devastated. I mean, heartbroken. And I mean, I, I was just so sick about it and devastated for the, not only for my son, but for the patients of Mississippi. This has just been an injustice has been done. And 74% of Mississippians voted for Initiative 65. And we have had an initiative process for many years, over 10, well, 20 years, and then here we are on a technicality that Delbert Hoseman approved. He certified that 228,000 votes were, were done correctly, and um, but we, we were just, it just felt like the life had been sucked out of us, and I mean, I literally cried for probably 30 minutes, and then just, I've, my heart is just broken. After hearing the news um, and this is going to prevent uh, Mississippi's medical marijuana program, you know, what, what, do you, what does that mean for Austin and what does that mean for other Mississippians who 
um, we're, we're looking to benefit from this program. Yeah. What it means is that the Supreme Court just told every patient or potential patient in Mississippi that you don't matter and that and to voters that their vote does not count or matter. And these patients, I mean, why should we have to send our children or our, any family member off to another state to receive treatment from medical marijuana? Or what if patients, I mean, what if, I mean, why are they, some patients being forced to possibly get it illegally? And, and I hear of stories like that quite often, and it's just heartbreaking. Thirty-five other states have a medical marijuana program. Why can't Mississippi? And they need to act on it immediately. We need a special session to be called by the governor and to address this and to get the legislators back in session so that they can implement a proper working functioning program, medical marijuana program for our, the patients of our state and for my son. And have you been able to talk with other patients or, you know, parents of patients that are possible patients that um, would have benefit from this program as well? Yes. And I mean, they're just devastated with, with the outcome. And they, I mean, people are in shock and awe and, but they're outraged at the Supreme Court. They're outraged that the legislature has not addressed the initiative process and fixed it, which they could have multiple times over the past few years. But, um, you know, and what, um, you know, Mary Hawkins has come out, you know, at, you know, of course, at first she came out that, you know, this was about zoning and she didn't want medical marijuana. But then, of course, as the vote came out and 74 percent of Mississippians approved it, well, then she's like, well, it's not about medical marijuana. And even some of the Supreme Court justices in the I was at the hearing and they were like, well, this is not about medical marijuana. But how can this not be about medical marijuana when the only thing they really what they did is they they cited that only Initiative 65 is invalid. They really didn't address voter ID or eminent domain, which technically should be invalid as well. And I am sure that they will be invalidated. I mean, people are going to file lawsuits against that because if the initiative process over the past 10 years has not been valid, then those should have to be, you know, invalidated as well. Angie Calhoun is a resident of Rankin County and is an advocate for medical marijuana in Mississippi. Angie, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you, Kobe. I've enjoyed it, and I I hope that um, everything's going to work out for the patients of our state. Not only did the court's decision eliminate the hope for mu- uh, many to have access to medical marijuana for relief and treatment, it also threw a wrench in the economic plans for potential cultivators and distributors. Daniel Thompson says he spent tens of thousands of dollars on land for farming and distribution investments he believes the court has not undermined. We're definitely out of uh, some thousands of dollars, uh, uh, definitely some tens, tens of thousands of dollars just trying to make sure um, everything was legal uh, on our location. What I'm sorry, on the location itself, uh, is it viable to, you know, what would probably be a church or a school and things like that. So just doing a lot of recon on that. But, yeah, we definitely lost money on the preparation. What are your thoughts on the, the, the who would have been the future customers for your business? I mean, for, for based on what the opioid uh, crisis is and things of that nature, I mean, you take it, for me, you take, those particular medic- medications 
out of their hands and you put in something that they've shown to have a positive research in different other states uh, with the cannabis itself. So for me, I think you got thousands of people that still have to suffer uh, for the simple fact that, you know, whatever the power that be determines that, you know, they don't want it there or it's not a right to be there or one district uh, is not there in order to get the vote. So to me, it's a loss. It's not a loss. It's a loss financially uh, uh, for the state, but it's definitely a bigger loss. It's a medical uh, loss for those who actually needed to have a better quality of life. As a member of that uh, business, and you know, what do you see this meaning for other businesses in Mississippi that were on the similar track? I was reading an, an article uh, that one of the larger companies that just purchased or rented, uh, I guess, 4,000, 5,000, or maybe more square footage of office space. I mean, I don't really think that they're going to keep that office space uh, as well as other other people inside the state and outside the state that was looking to go. So I think that's just another blow uh, for the economic development that is des- desperately needed there. This ballot measure uh, promised a lot of money coming into Mississippi um, generated by businesses. What are your th- – do you think that's going to be um, a, big, a big loss for the state? I know it will be um, because at the end of the day, not only did you have exterior companies, but – just the people that's there, giving them the ability to take ownership of the state and take ownership of, you know, Mississippi in itself to actually have a homegrown product that's there that they can cultivate, uh, market, distribute, everything. So I, I think it's a big loss. I mean, the, in, in my opinion, the farming industry has already taken a hit with the, with the crops and everything like that. So if you have a different crop that you can grow, I mean, the hemp is there for the agriculture department, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So you already have that on the board, and people are actually making a stride for that. So what's the difference between that and the, the, the cousin plant to it, which is, you know, marijuana or the cannabis plant? I mean, I think you just you, – Mississippi has a lot of land that's not being used in bringing that particular uh, market to the to the table. It just allows the state to grow even more. So it's a negative, in my opinion, just because people want to play politics. Daniel Thompson is an entrepreneur in Mississippi. Uh, Daniel, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you. Coming up, the United States' highest court agrees to hear Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, setting the stage for the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban is drawing national attention following the United States Supreme Court's decision to hear the case this fall. Pro-life champions are celebrating the move as they view it as an opportunity to challenge Roe v. Wade. Governor Tate Reeves joined the chorus yesterday on social media, tweeting, The sanctity of life, the future of our children. Mississippi is at the forefront of protecting both. And that is what is at stake in the case we have been praying the U.S. Supreme 
Supreme Court would decide to hear. But advocates for reproductive rights find the situation more grim. Diane Dursis is the owner and CEO of Jackson Women's Health Organization, the only clinic in the state that performs abortions. She tells our Desiree Frazier, with the current makeup of the court, Mississippi's 15-week ban is tailor-made to challenge the Roe v. Wade opinion. We had certainly realized this was a distinct possibility that this is a case that here because it's the perfect case to overturn Roe v. Wade. It will decide whether or not a state can pass limitations um, on abortion provision before viability. And this case does just that. You said that you hope that people will understand how serious the situation is and that those who want women to have a choice weren't crying wolf. Absolutely. You know, we've been saying for years um, that that this is in the works. I mean, the anti-choice people have been very direct uh, and very uh, good about keeping their eye on the ball and having the new anti-choice Supreme Court justices put on by Trump um, has certainly put us in a position where this can now happen. But, I mean, that's what people need to understand. The question is now before court that holds a majority of anti-choice people. So very clearly, um, the right to abortion in every state in the nation is under direct assault, and that's what they're deciding. They're deciding the lives of millions and millions of women and their families, as we speak. Why are you so adamant that a woman should be able to have an abortion? You know, I've, I've been doing this over 40 years, and I can tell you the faces and the names of the women who've come through that facility, and the, the bottom line for each and every one of those people is that if you cannot decide whether or when to bear a child, you can't make any decisions in your life. You know, I, th- I think Mississippi sent a direct message last week or the week before when they cut off Medicaid funding at birth. And that is the message, and that is exactly what happens in the state of Mississippi, that we don't care. After the pregnancy, we could care less. We don't care if these babies die. We don't care if they have food shelter. We don't care if they get an education. You know, that's that's why Mississippi is 50th in the nation in all of these horrible arenas. You can't have it both ways. You said in previous conversations that I've had with you, if abortion is not available to every woman, woman there will still be abortion. There will still... No question be opportunities to get an abortion. Would you talk about that a little bit? I'd be happy to. Prior to 1973, there were abortions, and they were estimated that there were as many abortions performed then as now. The difference were women died or were maimed as a result. And let me be clear, women who have money and privilege and the ability to do so will be able to get an abortion, as they always have been. There'll still be states that offer that. 
but women in Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, poor women, women of color, are those that are the, that are impacted by these kinds of laws. In the past, attempts to uh, do away with women having the option of having an abortion um, was mm-hmm. ruled unconstitutional by judges. Even though right. there is a conservative Supreme Court, what would stop them from saying it's still unconstitutional to stop a woman from having an abortion because she has that right because it's her body? Because they have a five to four majority now. You know, and, and that's the direct want of Mississippi's bill. This bill, the Supreme Court took this because this bill allows them to uh, determine whether or not a state can restrict abortion based upon the trimester. Can they do that before viability? And that's what Mississippi's law does. So what this bill has become is a direct challenge to Roe, because Roe actually said you cannot, unless it's for the health and welfare of the woman, you cannot put in legislation that restricts a woman's right to have an abortion until viability. So we now have a Supreme Court poised to overturn Roe. So, you know, it's, um, it's dire, outrageous that in 2021 we are poised to overturn precedent and a freedom that women haven't been able to utilize for years. Well, Diane Dursis, the owner of the Jackson Women's Health Organization, we appreciate your time in speaking with us about this. Thank you, Desiree. I appreciate you having me on. Coming up, the bail project comes to Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Bail, the temporary release of an accused person awaiting trial on the condition of payment, is receiving elevated scrutiny as criminal justice reforms nationwide look to dismantle the discriminatory practice. And while some states have begun getting rid of their cash bail system, the Gulf states have not. That's where the Bail Project hopes to help. It's a national organization already running in Louisiana that helps bail people out of jail. Robin Sterling is the CEO and founder of the Bail Project. She tells the Gulf States newsroom's Becca Schimmel the group is trying to reduce the number of people who are behind bars waiting for their day in court. The cash bail system in America has led to a humanitarian crisis in our jails and a constitutional crisis in our courts. And so the Bail Project, since we launched in January of 2018, we've been responding on both 
fronts through immediate bail assistance at scale and then a multifaceted strategy to end cash bail and demonstrate that there's a community-based alternative for pretrial release. What we know about the South is that the harmful effects of bail and pretrial detention obviously exist across the country, but they are most acute in the South. And so we feel confident that at this point in our growth and um, thinking about our ability to do this work, that this is the place we need to go next. Uh, the South has the highest jail incarceration rates in the country. Um, seven of the 10 states with the highest incarceration rates are in the South. Um, and frankly, the South is the ground zero for the devastating impact of jailing Black Americans. Um, of all Black Americans in jail, nearly half are in Southern jails. So we are excited about the possibility of expanding to some of the Deep South states and taking our model that we now have been able to prove over the past three and a half years by doing 16,000 bailouts um, is a really effective, impactful, humane and fair and just alternative to America's cash bail system. And a lot of people don't understand the bail project. They're like, what do you mean you're going to bail people out of jail? So can you just kind of go over your model and how you explain yourselves to to people when you're introducing it? Sure. So when we talk about our work, right, you first have to talk about America's cash bail system, right, which literally is putting a price tag on somebody's freedom. What's important to remember about that is cash bail gets set when somebody is accused of a crime but has not yet been convicted of anything. So when you have a cash bail system, right, obviously it will have disproportionately negative impacts on low-income communities and also disproportionately on communities of color, on black and brown and marginalized communities communities. And so what the bail project was really created to do was to respond to the humanitarian crisis of having millions of people in our local jails across this country who have not been convicted of a crime. They are literally being incarcerated before conviction because they don't have enough cash to post the bail money at the beginning of their case that somebody with more resources would be able to do. And that creates a two-chair system of justice, right? One for people with resources and the rich and one for people without. And that also has a disproportionate impact on communities of color and low-income communities. And so what we do is we have a national revolving bail fund, and we have local sites that are run by teams on the ground from the communities that they're serving. Um, They interview clients, they pay bail, they support the clients when they come out by giving them court reminders, connecting them to services that they've identified they might need. Um, and ensuring that people, you know, have the means to get back to court. Um, and so it's a two-pronged approach, um, the work we're doing, which is the direct service component of trying to get people out of jail um, and support them while they're out. And then also in an effort to really, at the end of the day, change our system of cash bail, eliminate cash bail, um, and drive forward some of the systemic change that we and others in the field have been working for a very long time to change. What are your the local organizations that you're working with? So the work that we're beginning in Mississippi is being done with the Mississippi Bail Fund Collective. Um, and they are part of um, a large collective of lawyers, social workers, activists, policymakers from Mississippi who are really thinking about criminal justice reform, not just in the cash bail space, but also in larger criminal justice reform areas. Obviously, the Bail Project, we focus exclusively on the pretrial stage, and we think about cash bail as one of the main drivers of mass incarceration in this country. It's responsible for 99% of jail growth in this country, and it's why the majority of people sitting on a 3,000 
jails and local jails are sitting in jail before conviction. So that's the place that we're going to be focusing on, but we are delighted to have partners um, in that collective uh, working on all areas of criminal justice reform, bail reform being one of them. When do you start in Mississippi? When do you start bailing people out? So we have, um, we expect that that will be happening in the next couple months. Um, we are working already in partnership um, with the Mississippi Bail Fund Collective and um, our incredible partners there on the ground. Um, we have funded some staff roles there to really do a deep dive into how the bail systems are operating in all the different jurisdictions in Mississippi and really trying to map out what a statewide strategy might look like uh, that would enable us to actually address the humanitarian crisis by getting people out of jail and bringing them home, um, but would also really look at what might um, statewide bail reform look like in Mississippi if we were able to prove that the model of releasing people without cash bail um, you know, is one that ensures that people will come back to court. Um, and we know from our data from across the country that our model of community release with support um, results in clients coming back to over 90% of their court appearances. And so we're optimistic that we can do that work in Mississippi too. Um, I think one of the things about Mississippi is the system is really decentralized. There isn't an organized public defender system that actually provides counsel to folks in all those different areas. And so we're looking at ways to tackle that problem and make sure that we have ways to reach clients and uh, do the interviews and do the work up front to assess whether or not a client is eligible for bail and then paying the bail and also assessing what are the services that are available in people's communities that we can connect them to if they need to be connected to services. And those services could be anything from, you know, housing instability to food banks to mental health treatment, um, addiction treatment. Um, and so we need to really do an assessment there and make sure that we have what we need to support the clients that we'll be bailing out. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.